This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sometimes things aren't fun, guys. First off, I'm making sure that my laptop is muted. Yeah, we don't want to mishap like the other night. I know sometimes things suck, but they don't have to suck forever. Meemaw used to always tell me that, and I'm telling you that tonight. We are not taking the tone you probably think we're taking on tonight's show. I haven't spoken to you since Thursday. A lot's happened since then. A lot of teams are not where they were when we last spoke, but we're going to make sense of it all, and I'm going to tell you ahead of time, things are going to be okay. Going to be some changes, but things are going to be okay. Late Kick is live. We're jam-packed. High atop a radiant downtown Nashville, Tennessee. It is Sunday night, August 6th, the year of our Lord, 2023. Yeah, we got camp intel coast to coast. We got whispers. We got scoop. We got all kinds of different stuff going on on the field. All kinds of stuff going on off the field. And I'm going to talk about it. I'm not going to lead the show with it. It doesn't deserve to lead the show, but we will talk about it probably before the Academy ad read even. I've got prediction season starting tonight. Now, I know your local preview magazine has already told you what they think your team's going to do. Around here, we take the more responsible approach of getting a few practices into fall camp before we actually start to throw out record predictions and projections. And you know how we like to do it. We like to go best case, worst case, most likely. And tonight, we're putting on all the hats for Penn State And we'll do several teams in future shows. So we're doing one tonight. We'll probably do multiples from here on out. FSU recruiting on fire. Yes, I'm going to talk about it. You thought I was going to ignore that? Yes, I'm going to talk about that. I got what ifs. I got bold predictions. I got all kinds of stuff. They're watching us in St. Augustine, Florida. Fresno, California is tuned in. Lynchburg, VA. Huntsville, Alabama. Hey, make sure you're following on the socials. At Lake Kick Josh. Loads of fun there this weekend. Loads of fun. Did I have a great weekend? Yes, I did. Am I going to give you the details? Probably not. Can you get a hint in the Instagram story? Yes, you can. Did it cause a commotion today? Certainly. 200K. We're inching ever closer to 200K subs on the YouTube channel. I don't care what you have to do. I don't care who you have to recruit. As long as they are living and drawing breath, get them to subscribe to the YouTube channel. They'll be better for it. You'll be better for it. The show will be free because of it. And so thank you all. Next week, stores opening up. Next week, the tour gets announced, and next week, I'm going to tell you where we're going to be in week one. So, exciting times ahead. Hasn't been exciting around the sport lately, though. I'm going to talk to you about that in just a few minutes. But first thing I want to do, we lead every show with it in the month of August, because as long as they're practicing football, we're talking about football to lead these shows. Fall camp whispers, fall camp intel. Where are we going first? Let's go down to Auburn, Alabama. We have not talked about the Tigers yet. Hugh Freeze in town. We have talked about that, but we have not talked about the team. I want to talk to you about their quarterback situation for just a second. So I've done some digging on this over the past couple of weeks. Robbie Ashford was there last year. He played some games for him. When Hugh Freeze got hired, I looked at Ashford and I said, I could see this world where Hugh Freeze syncs up with Robbie Ashford and it's just perfect match at the perfect time. You know, think like a poor man's version of Hendon Hooker finding Josh Heupel. I didn't think it would be to that degree, but I thought, hey, this could be the best moment in Robbie Ashford's career. I don't feel that way anymore. And I think Peyton Thorne's going to start at quarterback for Auburn. Uh, Peyton Thorne, obviously, post-spring, came to Auburn via the transfer portal. And there was this whole mess up at Michigan State that led to that. So we detailed that when it happened. That's old news. There are a million and one different things that can happen in a football program. And in quarterback competitions, it's no different. Sometimes guys are just more poised and accurate than the guy they're competing against. Sometimes there's something uh, critical that happens in someone's personal life. Sometimes there's an injury. Uh, Sometimes you have off-the-field issues. All kinds of different things can happen. So here's all I'm going to say on it. I think that from the time spring ended through the time that Peyton Thorne got here via the portal and now to open fall camp, I think that maybe some off-the-field stuff, not disciplinary, that's not what I'm talking about, but I just think some things have happened down there as they do in every program 
that have probably led me to that opinion. You can tell I'm speaking in code. It's what I have to do sometimes. Uh, but I think Peyton Thorne running with the ones down there is not a surprise to me, even though he is yet to play a game for Auburn. He didn't even take a snap in the spring for Auburn. It doesn't surprise me that he'll probably win that job. Now, you go further than that, and you start to ask yourself, okay, well, that's one guy Auburn got out of the portal. They got, a, what, 10 more, Jesse? I think 10 more four-star or higher-rated players. What are they going to do with all of them? Don't know. Don't know. That's what we got to find out. But I think it, it just bears repeating because I was someone in spring who thought, man, Robbie Ashford could really, really shine in this offense. He still could. We could still see that. At this time, I would not pick him to win that starting quarterback job. Next up, Oklahoma. Been waiting to get some whispers and scoop from Norman. Now, it's not going to be hard to find positive updates at Oklahoma because they were pretty bad last year. Roster situation was uniquely bad, certainly far worse than I think most people realized, including me at this time going into the season. So defensive line depth, it sounds like, looks way different through a couple of practices out there based on eyeballs that have been on the field. Offensive line specifically on that left side looks a lot better. Now, if you're an Oklahoma fan, you know exactly how important that is. If you're not, just rest assured part of the reason they were so inept last year was due to some of the things I'm talking to you about right now. Quarterback position, you know when Gabriel went down last year, they had nothing. They got blanked, I think 49 nothing against Texas. So you need help at quarterback, but also depth would be nice too. And Dylan Gabriel, going to start for them in all likelihood, but Jackson Arnold is looking very well or very good as well. Now again, it's, this is all contingent on it being the first week of fall camp. So really you just want guys to be healthy and make sure they still look like what they look like the last time you saw them. It does, does give you reason, though, to look at that, that odds board over there. Oh, there are the Big 12 odds. Oh, Oklahoma's listed number two. Really? But, but didn't they barely make a bowl game last year? Yep. And you've got their over-under win total at what? Nine and a half. And they're, they're the second odds-on favorite to win the Big 12? Yep. Just means odds makers believe in them. And the more I hear out of camp, the more I'll probably start to believe in them because that's the nature of, of a rebound team with a good roster in fall camp. Uh, speaking of rebound team, I don't know how you rebound from an 11-win season, but that's what Alabama's trying to do. They're trying to rebound from an 11-win season. I've talked to you a lot about Alabama secondary because I think it's going to be really good. I think it has the potential to be really good. Feel good about Kool-Aid at one corner. Feel good about Terry and Arnold, I think. At another corner position, they got a kid named Jaden Key out of the portal from UAB. Interesting times right now because they're pretty much cross-training him everywhere trying to figure out where he fits in. But here's what I want you to pay attention to. So Caleb Downs comes in there. Five-star out of the state of Georgia. And even closer to signing day, we started to talk about how we were getting feedback on him that was pretty rarefied. People were comparing him to Minka Fitzpatrick. No one ever does that around Alabama is my point. Uh, no one ever does that, period, because the very few high school players who ever looked like Minka Fitzpatrick. Caleb Downs, they didn't hesitate in giving him that comp. So I did something that is very foolish, and I don't recommend you do this. If you ever sit down with Nick Saban, don't be asking him to hype up a true freshman. But I broke my own rule, and I sat down with Nick Saban a couple of weeks ago, and I asked him about a true freshman who has never played a down of football for Alabama yet. Colin, let's see what he said. When Minka Fitzpatrick came to Alabama, I remember every, every coach that watched him, every analyst that watched him, they said, you don't see many come out of high school like him. And they said the same thing about Caleb Downs this last cycle. And you've seen him through spring. Um, you've spoken glowingly of him. What kind of player could he be? He'd be great. He's, he's a very good player. Um, I don't like to create these accolades and expectations for players. I like them to stay focused on the process and um, do what they need to do to do their job, be accountable to themselves and their teammates to create value for themselves and the team. So Caleb is a bright guy. He's kind of a smart guy that uh, football is really important to, but he does everything to a high level in his life. He's a good person. He's a very good student. Uh, he's a student of the game, and he works really hard to get it right on the field. So, um, and he's conscientious. So I think he has a very bright future. I tend to agree with that guy, Nick Saban. I think he's got a bright future, too. Let me tell you how bright I think his future is. He's a true freshman. It's his first fall camp for Alabama. He's the one fixed at one safety. He's the one who is pinned in with the ones, 
and they're revolving other guys around him trying to mix and match and figure out who's going to be where. You could have Christian Story back there, a former kid I covered down at Lynette. Really like Christian Story. He's been a little banged up. They ran Devonta Smith, not the one you're thinking about. They got another one who plays secondary down there. They ran him with the ones yesterday. Uh, Earl Little is down there at the star position. Malachi Moore could move to the star position. So they've got a lot of really good names. All these names you've heard. I think that there is a five- and six-man rotation there, depending on the look for Alabama, that could play very, very good football for them. I'm talking about the kind that you're used to Alabama playing, not the kind that sees Tennessee hang half a hundred on you because of mismatches. So let's monitor that. I know everyone's focused on quarterback there, and we are too, but I'm looking at the secondary. Uh, I also want to go to NC State. Mm, Tear this post-it off. Pop it, just because. Devin Leary left. I think everyone knows that. Now, I, I think... Unless I'm just reading the college football public wrong, I think that's where most people's knowledge of NC State ends right now. Now, if you've done your due diligence, God bless you. You know Brennan Armstrong transferred there from Virginia, but a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people hear Devin Leary left, oh, forget about NC State. Well, here's the thing. Brennan Armstrong's pretty good. And not only did he transfer from Virginia to NC State, his offensive coordinator's there too. So it was pretty much like, like taking the two most important cogs of an offense and installing them at NC State to where there's really not much of a learning curve. The learning curve is more in learning the personnel around him and, you know, learning names and learning your way around campus. But as far as learning an offense, he doesn't have to learn anything. Uh, If anything, the guys around him have to learn an offense. He's a grad senior, so he's been around. He's, he's a full-grown man, 6'2", 215. He knows how to play. He knows how to handle himself in college. And I'm saying all that to tell you, Maybe there's not much of a drop-off at all here. And I think pretty highly of Devin Leary. Devin Leary was not protected all that well last year. So in the aggregate, man, maybe if I get half-decent offensive line play and, I don't know, bring the right coordinator-quarterback combo in, maybe NC State's a dark horse contender over there. A lot of people think that. Could be one of those classic cases where everyone bought stock in a team a year too early. Their over-under win total is 6.5. We detailed that last show. But uh, that's what I'm keeping an eye on because if you start seeing scrimmage reports – and you start getting team insider feedback where people are saying, hey, uh, they, they seem well ahead of the curve of whatever Vegas is set. They seem way better than whatever these preview magazines set. It's just because people overlooked that simple fact. Like it's, it's not always the end of the world because the quarterback who was there last year moves on. This is not the NFL. This is college football. Uh, t- teams improve all the time with a new quarterback. So it's not It's not like a foreign concept. So watch that with NC State. Also, Washington, I wanted to talk to you about for just a second. Uh, You know what? Hold on. Sorry about that, Colin. You can keep the Washington Super up. I just want to remind you of this. NC State, here's the reason I'm focused on them tonight. You want to find these teams that could be landmine teams. For betting purposes, for looking smart at the water cooler purposes, just for fun. I don't care. You live your life however you want to. But I have got a very important post-it on my index finger here, and it tells me that if that team were to be better than people think, well, all of a sudden that's bad news for Notre Dame in week two. And if this team, NC State, is better than people think, they have a bye before they play Clemson at home later in the season. So whomst knows. Next up, let's talk about Washington for just a second. Now, this may not matter a whole lot to you this year. It may not matter to anyone up there this year. Washington's in a good place when it comes to quarterback. You may think to yourself, yeah, that's not breaking news. I know, they got Penix Jr. back this year. Yes, they do. Did you know that Michael Penix Jr.'s so comfortable in the system up there, they just give him scheduled off days, like load management in fall camp for Washington? Well, that is the case. And I think one happened yesterday. You know what that meant up there? That meant they got to watch Austin Mack, and they got to watch 6'6", 210 pounds, former four-star from Folsom, California. They got to watch him slinging around up there a little bit. Now, it was the number uh, 73 overall player in the cycle, the 2024 cycle. Yeah. So, I mean, he's new. Um, Inconsistent is something that you hear with a lot of newcomers, and that's what they've said about him so far. But they also are quick to point out, yeah, the intangibles, we'll see. The tangibles got like a Joe Milton arm on him. Don't tell Joe Milton I said that, please, but got an absolute cannon on him. So, So athletically, there are very few who rival him. Also, you forget Dylan Morris is up there, too, another former four-star. So Washington's in a really good position at quarterback. 
And uh, a lot of people consider Austin Mack the quarterback of the future. And hey, on load management rest day for Michael Penix, they even get to see him up there. So a lot of fall camp whispers and intel coming our way. We haven't even gotten to scrimmages yet. So when scrimmages happen, they're always closed to the public. But when scrimmages start to happen, and that's going to be like this coming week for a lot of them, that's when we'll really start to get some, some good scoop. So stay tuned. If you're watching live, thank you so much for that. Just make sure you subscribe because we need 200K. Not that we're going to stop at 200K. We just want 200K subscribers, that is. It's free. Nothing happens. You just click a button and you forget about it for the rest of your life. I've got two chalai to give out on Tuesday. Not, I'm not announcing one tonight. We're giving away one chalice on every show this month, but uh, there's a package deal this specific time around, so I'm going to announce two of them on the Tuesday night show, and I'll explain more to you when the time comes. <sighs> okay. I think I need a nice long sip from this chalice. I don't know how well you guys remember the 40s, but not much TV around back then. So FDR served like 17 terms in office as president. And FD, he, he handled himself from a comms standpoint. FDR handled himself a lot like your boy here would. He understood how to communicate, especially when using radio. The absence of the visual allows theater of the mind to take over. It's a beautiful thing. If you've ever worked in radio, I got my start in radio. You learn how to paint a picture but leave a lot of it blank and let the listener or let the person you're communicating with use their own mind to fill in the rest of the gaps. And he used to do what he called fireside chats. And he would just talk to the nation, not as, not as your president, but just as your friend. Well, I look at our demo and most of you weren't alive in the 40s, but you are right now. It's a fact. It is a statistical fact. 100% of our audience is alive right now. Stats and info tells me. So what I thought we would do tonight is not talk about how much conference realignment sucks and not talk about how much we hate what's going on. It's obvious a lot of stuff's going on we don't like. And Colin, this has all been filler. I don't want any of this in the actual cut, but, but here's what I do want in the cut. College football saw some stuff happen last week that was sad. Not many of us liked it. In fact, I think a super majority of us didn't like some of conference realignment and seeing this team go here and seeing maybe a couple of teams that we've grown up watching disappear from the Power 5 national radar. I think, though, it's time for a little fireside chat here. And I think we need to remind ourselves, first off, a lot of great stuff in this sport. It is nice and cozy in the studio tonight. Director Colin pulled out some of the logs that we had saved for winter. I said, Colin, we need them tonight. And Colin set us a nice, a nice campfire here. Let's hear it crackling. And I just want to talk to you one-on-one -on -one, or one on several hundred thousand, depending on how many listen to and watch the show tonight. And I want to tell you, things are going to be fine in college football. And I'm not guessing on that. I know that. But let me meet you in the middle a little, because I know some of you are really turned off with the way things are going in the sport right now. Not on the field. You, let me put the pen down. You love what's happening on the field. I love what happens on the field. You love Saturdays in the fall. I love Saturdays in the fall. It's the folks who never buckled a chin strap, who are average as grits in some ways, who are in decision-making positions in this sport that you have a problem with. I've got a problem with them too. And so why don't we gather around the campfire and let's talk about a couple of things. Number one, I am not going to try and, uh, and, and you know, pour mysterious liquid out of the chalice down your knee and tell you it's raining in lieu of a much more colorful term. I know what happened last week turned a lot of you off. But you need to know something. Everyone knows they were turned off by it. Here's what you need to know. You need to know there was probably a trigger that was hit last week that you won't see the effects of for a while, but it was important nonetheless. Something happened last week in the midst of all that bad information, in the midst of all that terrible news coming out, in the midst of you and I looking around saying, why is any of this necessary? Why, do, why does Oregon and Washington have to move on? Why does an entire power conference on the West Coast have to implode in on itself like a dying star? Why did Texas and OU have to go to the SEC? And the answer has always been they didn't have to. None of it had to happen. None of this garbage had to happen. None of a lot of the things that happen in college football that you're sold as being necessary for growth and advancement of the sport have to happen. 
You know why they happen. I know why they happen. That's not breaking news, and let's not overthink the room on that front. But there's a difference in the way you guys have handled announcements in the past, breaking news in the past, versus the way you handled this last round, and it was not ignored. So I'm going to talk to you about that in a second. But first, I want to circle back around to the how and the why, because that's all that you guys were asking me my DMs. I was on the road a lot this weekend, so I got home in Nashville last night, and I was scrolling through hundreds and hundreds of DMs, and a lot of you were essentially asking the same version of the same question. Why did this have to happen, and why did it have to go down this way? Like, in the end, why did the Pac-12 look so weak? Uh, why, did, why did TV networks seem like they were driving the decision-making? Well, it's because the Pac-12 was weak, and it's because TV networks were driving the decision-making. So you answered your own question in a lot of ways on that front. But I'm going to tell you something. Thank you, Colin. I need the campfire for this one. A lot of average people exist way too high up in college athletics. It's something you can get in trouble for saying, but it's okay. Because fireside chat time tonight, so we're going to be real with each other. A lot of average-minded people. A lot of people who never built anything on their own. A lot of people who never took risks on their own, they just hopped in the driver's seat of a car that had already been built long before they came along, and it's just got a conference sticker or a TV network sticker or a, or a university sticker on the side of it. They're in the driver's seat they have no business being in. And I, I used to not believe that. I used to sit as a fan on the outside of this bubble, and I used to look inside, and I thought everyone inside was a genius. I thought everyone, certainly at the, at the university president or athletic director level or conference commissioner level or any of a number of other high-profile positions you're not necessarily familiar with, I thought all those folks were geniuses. They were revolutionary. They had to be advanced thinkers. They had to know something the rest of the folks in the room didn't. And in a lot of cases, all they knew how to do was work the system. There are folks like that where you work. You will walk into an office tomorrow and you will see someone making way more money than you that has way less skill and talent and know-how than you, but they know how to do one thing you don't know how to do, and that is look at an org chart and slither their way up to the top by any means necessary. A lot of people made it to where they are today in college athletics the same way. Now, if it just stopped there, it would be okay. But sometimes difficult decisions come along, and sometimes bowling balls enter the room in the form of either a negotiation period or a really, really strong-willed television partner who wants to restructure a deal, or maybe you have to lobby with or, in some cases, negotiate against as your new media partner, and you're, you're ill-equipped because you don't, have, you don't have assassins in the room. You've got part of that word, but, but the essence is out. Just keep the front, negate the back, and that's what you're sending to the battlefield to try and defend your conference or your brand or your university, and they're not equipped to because they're not talented. They're average. There are a lot of average people in the room that have no business being in the room. Just average affity all over the place. And in lieu of not knowing any of the other details, that's what just happened here. And it's what's happened in college athletics for a long time. Now, here's the good news before I circle around to probably some really good news. Okay, that happened. We can't change that. That's over and done with. I, I also think, so let me save the good news for about a minute from now. I get the sense that a lot of your frustration wasn't just in the fact that there was massive conference realignment. You also had frustration in the way it came out. You had about five or six big names out there two or three who really owned the news cycle. Thamel and Dellinger are ones I leaned on heavily. I don't fault them a bit. Like, they did great work on this. But the fact that they had a new story ready to go every hour, they had a new source saying new things every other hour, it is indicative of what an average person is like when the light gets shined on them for the first time in their life. Not Ross Dellinger and Pete Thamel. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the folks they talk to. In a lot of cases... They're talking to average people, and those average people have never mattered, and those average people have really never accomplished anything, they never built anything, and all of a sudden, for the first time in their lives, they're the source for a national writer who is feeding the information they're giving them to the masses, and they're watching the reaction. It's like kicking over an anthill every time Thamel or Dellinger tweets something out, and it, it's, it's the most thrill and adrenaline they've ever had in their lives. You just saw what it looks like when average people are allowed to be in charge 
during a critical juncture of college football history. That's what it looks like. It's, it's a grade A cluster, and you have news stories every hour. I mean, we had multiple updates from meetings that were going on. Do, do you understand what that entails? That entails a bunch of folks in a room like, like, like this right here as the meeting's taking place because they want to be the source of whatever's about to get tweeted out or written about. It was pathetic. So, yeah, you were turned off by that just like I was because uh, in case you've forgotten, we sat on this show in spring and told you Colorado's moving, told you Oregon and Washington are very likely moving. We knew about it back then. There, there was no need for 57 breaking news updates like we knew about it back then. So here's what I've picked up on. I've picked up on some understanding and some awareness over the past 72 hours of how hard the college football fan has been turned off by this that I've never picked up on before. Think about it for a second. Think about how you feel personally about this latest round of realignment. And think about how selfish you think folks are, how greedy you think folks are, how unhealthy you think some of this is for college football, if you feel that way. Because I'm telling you and putting those words in your mouth to say that you're not alone in feeling that way. A ton of folks felt that way. A ton of folks in my business even felt that way. And everyone publicized it at one time. When this stuff, when the dam finally broke the other day, a bunch of folks simultaneously let it out. And what they let out was, I don't like this at all. I'm a college football fan, or I cover college football. I am around college football. I love college football. I hate this. I've never seen it so unanimous before. Playoff expansion, some people like it, some people don't. Targeting rules, some people like it, some people don't. This stuff, no one liked it. No one liked it. There's this small little bubble, small little cadre of people who, who tie a bow tie way too tight in the morning, and they get in the car way too expensive and go to work in the morning. They liked it. You didn't like it. I didn't like it. It was heard, is my point. This is really, really important to listen to. Because you won't see evidence of this. I can't quantify it for you. But talking to some, some very important people on my side of the business now, the folks you don't get access to, I think that stuff was heard. And I think for the first time, it shook a lot of folks in a seat over there, a decision-making seat, whether it be in college athletics or media, I think it shook them a little bit. And for the first time, I think folks who have cashed checks on the back of this sport forever have looked around and started to get a little concerned at, the, at, at least the concept that one day they could alienate a chunk of college football fandom. You think that's impossible. It's never impossible. We can use the pro wrestling and NASCAR analogies from the late 90s all we want to. It's never impossible. Folks walk away from stuff they've loved for years all the time. They walk away from people. They walk away from things. They walk away from sports. They walk away from stuff all the time. College football is not immune from that. It's just been immune from it in these people's lifetimes because they've been cashing checks on the back of something they didn't build. They didn't create. They didn't create tradition. They didn't create the concept of what Saturdays in the fall mean. And so it's a bad thing that it happened. It's going to yield good results in time. Uh, because I think there is an awareness in the room like there never has been before. You got to take my word on this right now. It will show itself in the future. There's an awareness that we better get the fools out of the room. We better get our collective act together. We cannot allow this to publicly ever appear like the spectacle and disaster that this just seemed like again. And we got to be a lot more streamlined in the future about how we handle this kind of stuff. And, and here's the boldest concept. How about we actually listen to fans or players? You know, the two entities that were ghosts in this whole process. You ever heard fans mentioned in this? Your players mentioned in this? Of course not. And some of you had the audacity to bash Eli Drinkwitz the other day for saying just that. Drinkwitz had a good clip. We're not going to play it for you, but go look it up. Eli Drinkwitz, head coach there at Missouri. Had a really good clip. I think he echoed the sentiments of a lot of coaches, a lot of fans, a lot of folks like me. Um, so I appreciated what he said. But I think that lever got pulled, and that lever got pulled. And again, remember, these are, these are people who scare pretty easily. Average people scare easier than you could imagine. And so it doesn't take much. These are the kind of people, for example, who would change their entire trajectory of their company they inherited from their dad overseeing 13 or 14 tweets trending at the right time. 
That's this kind of person we're talking about. And so those kinds of people, in some cases, are in decision-making positions in college football. You let them know you're aggravated in large enough numbers. Even they're smart enough to realize they don't cash those checks without you. They're not the most powerful people in the room. You are. You always will be. You, you have been. It's just that I'm with you because I'm a college football fan too. For, for a little while, we've kind of sat back and said, all right, yeah, I don't like this, this, and that, but that's all right. I got my Saturdays in the fall. I'll be good with it. You can't sit back because they'll just keep taking them one further step every time and seeing how much further out there they can get every time. And so eventually you got to pull the rope on them. You got to pull them back. And I think college football fans in mass pulled the rope. They pulled it hard right after this last round of realignment. And they felt it over there on the other end, that little tug of war that's been one-sided. They felt it. Now, what kind of results does that yield? I don't know. I think it will though. Here's what I want to leave you with though. College football is going to be fine. I can't say the same for the non-revenue generating sports. That's a lot of what Drinkwitz was talking about, by the way. College football will be fine. I promise you that. It won't look exactly the same. There is, there's never been a 20-year period in the history of this sport, though, where college football continued to look the same. Now, that's not a good thing, but I'm just telling you, we're not dealing with anything above and beyond uh, the realm of uniqueness in 2023. It's just unique in our lifetimes, because it's not happened in our lifetime. Uh, but, but radical change has happened in this sport forever, and it'll continue to happen. So you can't control that. What I can tell you is Saturdays in the fall aren't going anywhere. They can't go anywhere. It's got to be a fixed asset or else this thing loses its value. That's the one saving grace in having the most greedy people in the room imaginable making decisions is they do have to crystallize the thing that's the most valuable. Even if they, they may not love it themselves, they do have to crystallize the concept of Saturdays in the fall, the concept of tradition as much as they can. Now that they've shredded 30% of it, they got to try and maintain the other 70% because that's what sells in college football. Rivalries sell in college football. High-level matchups sell in college football. Now, they probably just created more of those. And so I'm not knocking everything about this wholesale, but college football itself will be fine. If I covered college basketball, if I covered college baseball, softball, I'd be infinitely more furious than I am about college football. I'm, I'm more upset in college football at just the idea that some people who were critical in the decision-making process ever got to that point. That's what's most upsetting. And if it took this to expose some of the frauds in that industry and in our industry, I say so be it so flippantly. I don't want to just say so be it. Yeah, let's, let's torch an entire Power Five conference to make a point. I don't feel that way. But it's going to happen. It already happened whether I like it or not. At the very least, if there's positives that come out of it, it's better than nothing. It's, it's, it's nicer to see, in other words, flowers sprouting up in the landfill than to just be left with a landfill. That's as good a metaphor as I can do for you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Academy Sports and Outdoors is as good a partner as I can do for you because it's the only one we need. And uh, the reason I know that is because you guys uh, DM me all week and weekend, especially on the weekends, and send me everything from folding chairs to grills to tents to canopies to, I don't know. I mean, they probably have, well, I, I, actually, I know they have a great bike selection over there. So anything you need outdoor sporting good related and beyond, they've got at Academy Sports and Outdoors. But here's what they also have. They got our back. That's why we can bring you the show free of charge. And they've got a website. So if you don't have an Academy Sports and Outdoors in your area physically, that's a shame. And I'll work on it for you. We got more stores opening this fall. But in the meantime, academy.com. That's it. So, so a quick summary. All your outdoor sporting good supplies. A lot of stuff that isn't even outdoorsy. They just happen to have it as well. Backs this show. 
brings this show to you free of charge. There's no $9.99 a month, man. You're about to have to pay to watch college football games. You don't even have to pay to watch us. How backwards is that, by the way? And they, um, they've, they've got like great selection. So everything you need, they've got. Academy.com, if you can't get there in person. Academy Sports and Outdoors, if you can get there in person. It's a great experience. Life-changing experience, some of you tell me. And I cannot disagree. Really good number of live viewers. What are we, up over 3K? Uh, I appreciate that, guys. Hey, so I, I got a quick stat for you as we dive back into what ifs. Well, right before we dive back into what ifs. I have got a number on this post-it right now. And the number is 46.5. Does anyone want to guess? That's the number of the night. Does anyone want to guess? Jesse, I didn't even tell you what this is. 46.5. That is the percentage of our audience that's unsubscribed to the channel. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Not even going to ask you anything. I just want you to think about that. Marinate on that. And think, is there a change I need to make in my life? Am I part of the problem or the solution around here? Am I part of the 54% of the 46%? Anyway, thank you for watching regardless. All right, let's dive into what ifs. Chapter 19 of what ifs tonight. Just some fun things we're talking about that could happen this year. And if they did happen, may very well change the trajectory of a conference or several conferences. Confri, plural. Uh, let's go with the first one here. And this is from Brandon. He said, whew. Let me take a second and just marinate on this one. What if Miami throttles Texas A&M and is undefeated heading into the Clemson game? That's a pin dropper there. You heard it. Miami. So they play A&M in week two. You didn't just say if they beat them, Brandon. You said, what if they throttle them? Well, we got a number on that game right now. So they are seven and a half point dogs at home against Texas A&M. Okay, so think about this for a second. So A&M goes in there, and they get their doors blown off against Miami. Well, the first thing I'd be asking is, is Texas A&M about to fall off the rails in this scenario? That would be its own show, not just a segment of show. So leave that over there. Then we, we bring ourselves back up to the main road here. All right, now let's go back down further. He said they throttle A&M, and they're going to be undefeated when they play Clemson. Well, that also means Miami went and beat North Carolina on the road the week before they play Clemson. That, that is So that's a big conference opponent out of the way. It's a big out-of-conference opponent out of the way. And now they're going into, or they're, yeah, they're, they're playing Clemson at home. I forgot. It. I thought they went on the road and played them. So first off, big hype around a game that isn't being hyped right now, Miami-Clemson in that scenario. Uh, secondly, that's a big ACC shakeup. And thirdly, Check out the rest of that schedule. It gets tough in the second half. They would have Virginia, road games against NC State and Florida State, and Louisville, and then at Boston College. But that Florida State game, November 11th, no one's circling that nationally right now. I know every time you say that, the 1990s version of yourself winces when you say, oh, Miami, FSU, that's an afterthought. Blech. But it has been. Wouldn't be this year if that were to happen. Obviously, huge implications for Tyler Van Dyke. It probably means both of the coordinators worked out. Mario Cristobal would get like a million-year extension on his contract. So yeah, if, if this what-if were to pan out, all these things would happen. And we would take a lot of credit for it on this show because we took a trip to Miami earlier this spring. And um, we're all about taking the credit and not taking the blame. Next up. Huh. This has never happened, Jesse tells me. Nelson said, what if no teams in the top five of the playoff odds actually make the playoff? It's never happened. In the history of odds to make the college football playoff, we've never had the top five go 0 for 5. So the top five currently to make the college football playoff, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, and USC. All right, now that you've got that in your head, in the SEC, if it's not Georgia or Alabama, you could see that. You could have LSU. Uh, you could have Tennessee. So it's, it's, not, it's certainly not likely, but it's possible. That wouldn't be the wildest thing in the world. In the Big Ten, you could just have Penn State uh, or anyone in the West. Or you could also have a scenario in any of these conferences where a banged-up team with multiple losses already ends up winning the conference and they just don't make the playoff. That could happen. In the ACC... They don't have a top five right now, so any of them could make it, and that would be fine. Ditto in the Big 12. Like Texas could make it. That would be fine. 
are they taking other team spots? Is an undefeated Clemson or an undefeated Texas, are they taking other team spots? That could keep some of them out. Uh, the Pac-12, certainly, if USC doesn't make it in, you got like half a dozen other teams out there in the top of the conference and within the odds market, at least. So this would be fun, but I'm calling that very unlikely. It's not a bold prediction segment, but it's very unlikely. But if any of those scenarios were to happen, like think about LSU coming out of the SEC. Think about Penn State coming out of the Big Ten. Just those alone, much less if they all happen back to back to back. Next up, huh, thought we were done with these. A few years ago, we all thought we were done with a headline like this. Think about what Dom said. Dom said, what if a defensive-minded team wins the national title? Some would say it's already happened the last two years, Dom. So I looked at the S&P Plus defensively to start the year. So Bill Connolly's numbers, the, the projected best defenses to start the year. Iowa number one, A&M number two, Georgia number two, Michigan four, Kentucky five. Go Cats. How about that? Um, are, are any of those teams going to win the title? Georgia certainly has the best shot. Michigan's got a really good shot. But you got, you got Penn State, Wisconsin's up there, Bama's number 10. So th- there are some teams that would be in the conversation technically. But Dom's saying, what if one of them won the national title? Well, it, for, if Georgia won the title, it'd be a three-peat for them. So that's a big deal in its own right. If Bama won the title, I, you, you got to ask yourself, would they win the title as a defensive-minded team? I think defensive-minded when I think Iowa. And I do think that when I think Georgia, too. Uh, Alabama, I think if they were to win it this year, would revert back a little bit more to that kind of identity. But Dom, on the whole, no matter which one of them did it, if a defensive-minded team won the title this year, it would, cont- it would continue the pendulum swing theory instead of the river theory. So there was a theory for a little while in the late teens that college football was not, it was not cyclical. It was not a pendulum back and forth, radical offense, radical defense. They just thought it was a river. And college football is flowing this way, and it's never coming back. Defense is never winning championships again. Well, maybe, maybe that was a little bit too hasty. And especially if we get a defensive-minded team winning the title this year. And for the sake of argument, what if it's not Georgia? What if it's another team? So we've seen Georgia do it two years in a row. What if it's another team? Now, here's the difference. Iowa... Iowa has not been able to do anything offensively. That that is truly a defensive-oriented team. Georgia was a great offense last year. It's just you don't associate it with them because they don't don't move the ball the same way USC with Caleb Williams does. That's not a bad thing. It means they don't have to. It also means they understand how to play complementary football where they don't have to score every drive. But that's my response there. It would just continue the pendulum theory over the river theory. Lastly, College football playoff talk once more. Mike wants to, well, he wants to know, what if the Big 12 gets left out of the playoff? It'd be all about Texas, Mike. It'd be all about Texas. Anyone else out there gets left out of the playoff, you would look and say, I didn't expect them to make it anyway. Texas gets left out of the playoff, which is the line for them this year. I think achieving anything less than that, there is a large contingent amongst us that would consider it a failure. That's what they would say. Oh, Texas failed again. They could go 10 and 2. Texas failed again. I don't know that I'd feel that way. But what we'd also have to hear is a bunch of Big 12 hate, which was kind of, I don't know, it popped up last year and I didn't like it. And I probably wouldn't like it again this year. It's just, it's a product of the environment we've been in for a little while the playoff environment, where the only way you can be a quality, fun conference to watch is if you got multiple playoff contenders. And I'm not, I'm not going down that road. Some of you even get tired of me saying I'm not going down that road, so I'm not doing it. But um, you know I don't believe that. I had a bunch of fun watching the Big 12 last year. Pac-12 could eat each other alive this year. I'll have tons of fun watching them. And so if the Big 12 doesn't have a playoff team, but the overall style of play in the conference looks like it did last year, my what-if is it could be really fun to watch. There are a lot of other folks out there who disagree with that. And they would say, oh, it's just a bunch of average football. Well, okay, that's fine. Um, I like all of it. Like, I watch all of the sports. So that's, that's never really bothered me. It bothers me when people ask me for predictions in July. That's what bothers me because I always tell them I'm not ready. But August, August is a different story, friends. Thank you for watching. If you're watching live, by the way, you want some predictions, let's do predictions. Okay, Colin, I think our end point can be right here for the individual video. 
we're into August. We're into fall camp. I figure we've put it off long enough. Let's start predicting some records. We like to do best case, worst case, and most likely record scenarios for teams. And tonight we're doing Penn State. Probably the best shot James Franklin and his crew have had up there since that Big Ten title year. They are eighth in the college football playoff odds. Their over-under win total is nine and a half. So that gives you an idea of what the odds market thinks about Penn State this year. So what I like to do is I like to go glass all the way full. I like to go glass totally empty. And then at the end, I like to tell you what I think is going to happen. So, and you can play along with me here. What is the absolute best case record scenario for Penn State this year? The absolute best case record scenario for Penn State, I think, is 12-0. There's a 12-0 in the cards for them. You push back on that a little bit. I don't think you really get the concept of best case. But let's walk down this road a second. In the best of best cases for Penn State, quarterback is not a problem for him. Drew Aller steps in, and you remember that, hey, this isn't really a true freshman, is it? He played last year. Yeah, he played in 10 games. He's the best quarterback talent I think James Franklin's had. In the best case, he plays like it. I don't know what else to tell you. He could give him a quarterback edge in every game they have this year if he plays up to that kind of potential. If the offensive line for them gives me B-plus or better caliber play, and you combine that with the moves they made in the portal at wide receiver, and that wide receiver room coalesces and works off a power ground game, and they got Singleton and Catron Allen up there, could have a 30-plus touchdown combined year in and of themselves. If all that happens, and of course they have injury luck, you combine that with what could be the best defense in the Big Ten, why would they not have a shot to win every game? They're going to, as of now, be about a three-point dog against Michigan at home late in the year. Earlier in the year, they go on the road to Ohio State. If Oller's playing lights out, they match up pretty well with Ohio State. Ohio State will not face many defenses this year that can hang with those wide receivers. Well, Penn State can. Penn State, you don't have to pitch a shutout either. Penn State can. And so there's a scenario there where Penn State absolutely goes 12-0. Now, that's really fun to talk about. Yes, it is. But there's also the glass half empty. And this is normally where you want the home team to close their ears for a second. What is the worst case record scenario for Penn State? The worst case record for Penn State this year, I think, could be eight and four. Because there is no guarantee that Drew Aller plays at a high level. We think he's going to. There's no guarantee of that. And we've seen many times before a guy get hyped up and, and not even play bad, but just doesn't quite play to that level. If he doesn't do that, you don't have that offensive balance. You hope you can strike. And all of a sudden, you are still a prohibitive underdog against an Ohio State. You can't stop Michigan running the ball down your throat like you did last year. And you can't answer offensively. And not only that, not only do you drop those two games, but all of a sudden that group of Illinois, Iowa, at Maryland, uh, Michigan State in Detroit on a Friday night in late November, go Big Ten, all those games are up in the air as well. So you hope you have separation between yourself and Tier 2 in the Big Ten. But in the worst case this year, run D, if it can't hold up against a Michigan, for example, that wouldn't be the only team to run the ball on you. They don't have the wide receivers to go in there and win in Columbus. Ohio State's got a good front. They may be able to limit that Penn State ground game if they know you can't throw the ball on them. There's an 8-4 and four in the cards as well. Now, that's not fun to talk about. But what is fun to talk about is at least what we believe in. So I'm not predicting Penn State to go 12-0. I'm not predicting Penn State to go 8-4. What are we predicting then? I love to know what you predict in the comments, by the way. The most likely record scenario, I think, for Penn State this year is 11-1. I'm actually sky high on Penn State this year. So best case, 12-0, not that far from it. I think there's a lot of confusion out there from folks who get amnesia every spring, and they forget what they saw last year. Drew Aller, albeit still green, is not brand new to this. He's not a true freshman. He played in 10 games last year, like I said. Had to come in in week one. I think on the road, Jesse against Purdue had to come in in week one. So he was thrown in immediately and uh, played so well that there was, there was a little bit of a, dare I say, a controversy behind the scenes in the Penn State fan community, at least last year. I think he'll be really good. I think Drew Aller in time will be one of the best quarterbacks in the country this year. In time. Doesn't have to be immediately. And I'm going to tell you why. 
because they will probably play really high caliber defense. They will be able to run the ball extremely well. There are two things that I'm focusing on here that make me arrive at 11 and one for them. Number one, I think they're going to win one of the big two. I think they'll either go go into Columbus and upset Ohio State, or I think they'll beat Michigan at home. Certainly capable of doing both, capable of losing both. I'm splitting the difference. I think they'll win at least one of those. And number two, this is probably more important. I think there'll be separation that shows. So right now, when people talk about the Big Ten, they talk about Ohio State and Michigan. I think they'll talk about Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State this year. And if that happens, that means there is clear separation between Tier 1, including Penn State, and then Tier 2, 3, and 4 in the Big Ten. And if that's the case, you, you don't mess around with teams like Minnesota. You beat them. You don't mess around with uh, uh, Illinois, Iowa, Michigan State. You beat them. If you're really a Tier 1 team up there, you beat them. Manny Diaz, uh, J1 Sider are just two coaches. I think a lot of you know Diaz. Sider's been up there for a while at running backs. Uh, coach, they've got some great players to work with. So when you give really good coaches great players to work with, we were up there this spring, felt the vibe up there. I couldn't speak any more highly of the overall culture and vibe and being around a lot of programs. You kind of learn to see through some of them. You don't really see through Penn State. Really good things going on up there. They're not a long way away. They're, they're just fractions of inches away. I've said that so many times because I believe it. I think that they got 11-1 and one in the cards for them this year. That's what I think about Penn State. Now, if that is the case, you could have a real big mess on your hands in the Big Ten because there is that whole that whole potential scenario where Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan are all 11-1. and one. That could happen. And uh, we're at least a third of the way there in that prediction. So there you go. I'm going 11-1 for them. The odds to win the Big Ten right now, Penn State's third. Ohio State, as of the moment, is actually the favorite to win the Big Ten. Michigan couldn't care less. They're sitting there at second like they have been the past two years and have no problem with it. And then uh, after that, Wisconsin is the one in fourth at plus 850. They're watching us in so-so Mississippi. I cannot tell you how many times in storm chasing I have found myself in either Laurel or so-so Mississippi. It's like a shooting gallery down there every spring. Hobart, Indiana is watching. Woodstock, Georgia is watching. Man, we appreciate you guys wherever you're watching. We just do college football all year here. That's all we do. At Late Kick Josh, if you want to follow on the gram, on Twitter, that's where we are. Some of you thought I was going to overlook Florida State. Well, I'm not. Uh, Let's see. Do we think it should be Frank? It doesn't look like Frank. All right. Obviously, leave that out, Colin. Let me take a sip right quick. This one could get a little fiery. Thank you for bearing with me if you're listening on podcast. Got to stay hydrated, though. So Frank hit us up from Jupiter, Florida. And Fank, Fank G to be exact, said, you got any thoughts on Florida State recruiting lately? (laughs) I do, as a matter of fact. Thank you for giving me a reason to open this door. How well do you remember June? Let me put a finer point on it. How well do you remember June of 2023? Because if my memory serves me correct, a solid 70% of the American college football population was in my DMs trash-talking Mike Norvell and Florida State recruiting. Fast forward. How well do you remember July of 2023 and early August 2023? These are important dates, friends. I ask you that because at the end of June 2023, Florida State was nowhere to be found. You go on 247sports.com, you look at the top 10 in recruiting rankings, no Seminole logo. Top 20, no Seminole logo. There were 26 at the end of June. And that's not insignificant because that's after your camp season. So you got all the June camps And there's supposed to be this tidal wave of commitments after that, right? And so everyone was waiting, waiting, refresh, refresh, refresh. Cricket emoji. And uh, people talked. People talked. Folks in Tallahassee yawned. And folks in Coral Gables and Gainesville and outside of the state of Florida talked. Then July happened. Twelve commits. Eight of them blue chip. That alone would be good enough for a top 40 class. It did not stop. We were, we were on the road this past weekend. They landed KJ. They did. They landed KJ Bolden, five-star athlete. And now, guess what? You don't have to scroll too far to find the old Florida State Seminoles and Mike Norvell. Uh, they have got the number four class in the country. As of Sunday evening, August 6th, the year of our Lord, 2023. I got a credit 
our guys over at Knowles 24 7. Because I, I had doubts, but I don't follow Florida State recruiting minute to minute like they do. So I'd be curious hey, why, why is more not happening? I knew they had good visitor lists in June. I knew they had guys on campus. They had guys camping. Why don't they have commitments coming? Well, it's not everything's the same. Not, not everything's an apples-to-apples situation. So I go on Knowles 24-7, and the staff over there was pretty adamant. One of many reasons you should be subscribed to this network, the staff over there was adamant. It's coming. It's just it's not going to happen immediately due to several factors. It's not going to happen immediately. They were always confident in it. So I didn't know it was going to be quite this kind of tidal wave, but I thought there was a wave of commitments coming for Florida State eventually. Well, um, you go over there now, <laughs> everybody's celebratory. It wasn't that way in June, I can promise you. So the number four class in the country now, uh, I, know, I know they're ranked like top 10 by everyone. Some folks have them top five. So you may, if you don't follow recruiting, if you don't follow recruiting closely, you may just look at Florida State being ranked top 10, being a fringe playoff contender, being one of the co-favorites to win the ACC this year, and you may think, oh, Florida State's roster's back. They've arrived. No, they hadn't. Uh, Florida State's roster does not compare to elite teams in college football. They've got a lot of experience. They have mined the transfer portal extremely well. They got a good staff, and they got a veteran quarterback down there that is in the Heisman picture. They got really, really big additions at wide receivers specifically out of the portal, and they could make some noise this year. But their roster could get a lot better, even than it is right now. It's not a bad roster. It's not an elite roster. So when I see recruiting classes like this being put together, make no mistake. Just pretend, pretend for recruiting purposes, like Florida State's outside the top 30 to start the season on the field. Because that's how the staff should be thinking down there. And that's how fans who follow recruiting should be thinking down there. You still got a little ways to go before you could ever get into a playoff game. Imagine Florida State making the playoff this year and drawing Georgia in the first round, drawing Ohio State in the first round, drawing Bama in the first round. You know how big a mismatch that would be athletically? Doesn't mean you can't win. Upsets happen. But you would not be their equal. You're not there yet. And so it takes stacking classes like this. But it's such a welcome change. If anyone believes in the theory I have floated on this show about how you get real competitive balance injected back into this thing, I have, I've stated this theory a million times. This will just be a million and one. Forget about expanding the playoff. Forget about NIL. Forget about all this other stuff. It's just getting teams in Florida and Texas and California to recruit their own state better. That's it. That's all it takes. If Miami and Florida and Florida State, if Texas and Texas A&M, if USC, if those schools just keep a majority of their in-state talent that they want home, that's all it takes. Because what happens is every single class, the Alabamas of the world sign three or four less from those regions than they would have. Stars end up impacting playoff and title games. It, it is a roster, but it's star players. You get three or four fewer of those star players per cycle per those three or four schools that have been raiding those states. It shows up. It shows up. It makes those schools better in the, in the Sunshine State, Lone Star State. But it also, it chips away just a little bit, chips away a little bit at those schools in Columbus and Tuscaloosa and Clemson, like play, Athens. They've gone into those states and gotten a lot of that talent. And so here's Florida State doing their thing, playing their part. So hats off to Mike Norvell and company. Now, I do want to say this. It continues to be the most entertaining thing that I see in college football fandom. In this new world of NIL, it continues to fascinate me how every time some team lands a top kid, there is still this mechanism. You can't turn it off. It's like watching someone trying to quit smoking cigarettes. They can't quite turn it off. They put down the cigs, but, but my, my boy's over here still vaping. And a lot of you are vaping on that NIL, they're cheating allegation. Are we really going to do this for another year or two? Eventually, we got to calibrate. Eventually, we got to get used to this. But in the meantime, how often am I going to have to hear three or four scorned fan bases hit that vape and then put it to the side and say, well, they paid him. Yeah, yeah, they paid him. It's legal. What are we talking about? They're not going out of there out of the goodness of their heart, guys, nor were they coming to your place out of the goodness of their heart. So, yes, it's happening. Yes, it's legal. The end. 
The end. We even do it at Pate State. So certainly I expect everyone else to do that. Just how do you think you were going to land them? Do you think your kids are coming there for the logo on the side of the helmet, but they only go elsewhere for money? Is that how you think that works? Don't. We get it, bro. You vape. But you don't have to be stupid and vape. Move on. Bold prediction time. I didn't want, I didn't want to castigate vapors. I really didn't. I'm, when I'm college football commissioner, you can vape on campus all you want to. I, just, I would much rather police recruiting allegations than vaping. And that's my platform. Let me take a sip from the chalice. Yeah, Jesse wants you to like and subscribe the video, if you will, or the channel and the video. Bold prediction time. Bold predictions mean essentially that. What do you believe is going to happen this year? We got four tonight. Uh, they are all an eight or higher on the boldness scale. First up is, uh, well, it's, it's a very specific prediction from Northville, Michigan. Drake said... The, the newfound rivalry between Oklahoma and USC will come to a head when they play one another in the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl is a semifinal game this year. Hope I can be there. Drake says I'm going to see USC versus Oklahoma. Now look, uh, for those of you not keeping track at home, yes, this is Lincoln Riley versus his old team. Everyone wants this to happen. It is very bold of Drake to not only predict that it's going to happen, but he's predicting... He's predicting both of them make the playoffs. So, so Drake is predicting half of the playoff, and he's predicting a first-round matchup. That's a 9.5 on the boldness scale, Drake, but I'm with you. I hope you're right. USC's got the harder schedule here. They've both got win totals of 9.5. OU's probably got more to prove. Both of them would have taken care of all that if they make this. I, I did not know this, but producer Jesse tells me we've never had a college football playoff with the Big 12 and Pac-12 in it. But it makes sense when you think about it. So I'm going to put a 9.5 on the old boldness scale there. Backloaded schedule for USC. Hey, they'll be battle tested, if nothing else. And I do want you to keep in mind, if you're looking on YouTube, check out USC's schedule there. There is a, a mechanism built into it that you don't see. See, they've got a week zero game against San Jose State. So you see their first bye in week four. And you may think, okay, well, then I see the rest of their season, right? Yeah, you do. What you don't realize is they're done. November 18th, they're done. You know what that means? If they make the Pac-12 title game, they have a bye before the conference title game. Lincoln Riley, I see you. Next up, this thing has happened. This next prediction has happened recently. Cal from Kennesaw, Georgia said three or more teams will go undefeated in the regular season. He's talking about Power Five. Notice he said regular season. Um, I'm going to put an 8.5 on the boldness scale here. But having three undefeateds is not that uncommon. It's happened in four of the past five seasons. If you count 2020, which we do, it, it's happened four out of the past five years. Just regular season, having three undefeateds is not that rare. Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and Alabama all have win totals of 10.5 or higher this year. Clemson, USC, LSU, Oregon, Washington, Penn State. There's a bunch of them with nine and a half. The more challenging thing would be to guess which three teams are going to be undefeated. But I don't feel this this year. Even though it's happened for the past five years, I'm not feeling this this year. And there are many reasons I will detail later in August, but I don't feel this this year. Like I think we're going to have a bunch of blemishes on a bunch of records, and that's a beautiful thing. If you're just agnostic and you're watching the whole sport and you're not pulling for a specific team. So I'm going to put an eight and a half, 8.5 on the boldness scale on that one. Next up, this one is very bold. Producer Jesse wanted me to put a 10 on this one, but I am a believer. I'm a believer. And so I'm only going to put a 9.75 on it. Logan from Aiken, South Carolina predicts South Carolina wins the East after upsetting Georgia in week three. Georgia is a 24 and a half point favorite against South Carolina at home in week three. If this happens, you would not be able to get within 50 yards of Shane Beamer without burning yourself. That's how hot that guy's stock would be. If he beats Georgia in Athens in week three and they go on to win the East, like it not, that's not guaranteed just because they beat Georgia. And they still got a load of really difficult games. They would still have to go to Tennessee. They got Florida at home. They got back-to-back -back roadies against Missouri and A&M. Whew. South Carolina winning East. Have you prepared your kids 
for a world where South Carolina is playing in the SEC championship game. I don't even have kids, and I haven't prepared mine for it. But if it happened, whew, what a story it would be. Now, i got to put a 9.5 on this on the boldness scale because it's really, really bold. The last three matchups between South Carolina and Georgia, the final score has been a combined 133-36. to 36. South Carolina has plus 3,400 odds to win the SEC East. But, but, they told me once upon a time ghosts couldn't play baseball. Then they showed me Field of Dreams, you know? So anything could happen, I guess. So it's only a 9.75. Producer Jesse, noted Gamecock hater, does not believe in Cocktober. I do. I know some of these games happen in Cocktober. Never write off the Gamecocks, especially in Cocktober. Still a 9.75, though. Lastly... Let's go up to the Big Ten. Uh, let's see. Will from Fairhope, Alabama said, the Big Ten West delivers two or more wins versus the Big Three. So that's Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State in the regular season. This is nine games in total. There are nine total matchups featuring the Big Three in the East versus Western Division teams. Enjoy it, because this is the last year we got divisions up there. Ohio State plays at Purdue, at Wisconsin, and Minnesota. Uh, Michigan plays at Nebraska, at Minnesota, and Purdue. Penn State plays Iowa, at Illinois, Northwestern. All right, now I circled what I think is the toughest of each of those. Like Penn State goes to Illinois. That's Drew Aller's first road game. Uh, Michigan goes to Minnesota. That's the second leg of a back-to-back road stretch. Not easy. And Ohio State goes to Wisconsin, which is a tough game in its own right. And it's also the week after they played Penn State. But I still think this is a nine on the boldness scale. That the division is just not close. The quality of team over there is just not close enough. And so you you think to yourself, well, it's only two. Yeah, it's only two. Go find them. It's only two. Like if you're five three and they tell you you got to dunk one basketball in this gym today, you can try all afternoon. You're not dunking. I do not think we're going to see two combined upsets featuring Big Ten West versus Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan. I've been wrong before. I'll probably statistically be wrong again at some point, but I don't think I am there. All right, uh, we've, got, I, I, we've got a big few months coming up. So let me tell you what we do in the fall. It's amazing, actually, when you think about it. So this company pays me to pick the game I want to go to and go to it every week. Then we come back and we do the Sunday show. It's wonderful. Uh, We fashion a whole tour around it. We have a name for it every year. Two years ago, we had the Renaissance Tour. Last year, we had the Every Given Saturday Tour. Got a good tour name for this year. We're going to announce it next week. I'm going to announce our week one destination. Which game are we going to in week one? I'm going to announce that next week. The Pate State Store is opening again next week. Pretty much. Maybe late in the week. We'll see. I I I got something fun I want to do with that. So I'm not going to tell you the exact date and time just yet. A lot of fun things happening. And also, just for the record, we've got record-breaking traffic on the show right now, so we appreciate it. All I'm asking, and this is the last thing I'm asking, is that you sub to the channel. Podcast and YouTube, sub to the channel. Sub, sub, sub. And um, everybody's hopes and dreams come true. So thank you so much for watching. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Let's have a great start to the week, and God bless. God bless.